From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Always great to have you with us. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, even though the bill's tax has yet to be released, the Senate's efforts to gain additional funding for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan while addressing the crisis at the southern border, well, it's running into more trouble. President Biden, on numerous occasions, has stated he's willing to work with Republicans in a big way on immigration. <clears throat> and over the past and for over two months, Democrats have shown we are serious about reaching an agreement by remaining at the negotiating table. So we'll keep going because senators don't need to be reminded of the consequences should we fail. That was, of course, Senate Scare Leader Chuck Schumer. The question is, is the president really willing to work with the Republicans on the border crisis? According to Republicans, the president is providing a little more than lip service. We cannot secure our border. We need to close the border. If we have a president that doesn't want to secure the border, let's close the border until we get a president that actually is going to enforce our laws. That was Florida Senator Rick Scott earlier today. The conflict over the bill is just as intense among Republican senators as it is between Republicans and Democrats. According to reports, the weekly lunch gathering of GOP senators yesterday left some with a bad case of indigestion. We're going to talk with Nebraska Senator Pete Ricketts in just a moment. You might recall this. Back in 2020, voters in Oregon, Oregon passed a law legalizing personal quantities of illegal drugs. That's personal quantities. I guess that's all you can smoke or all you can take. I'm not sure what it means by personal. The law took effect in 2021. Now, to date, 31 states have legalized marijuana to differing degrees. Now, some states like Oregon are now backtracking as drug deaths have surged. Next month, lawmakers in Oregon are slated to dial back some decriminalization provisions. We've got to have all the tools in our tool belt to address what's happening on the streets in Oregon, right? And we did remove a tool, and we are simply giving that tool back to the police that was Oregon Senate Majority Leader Kate Leiber. Uh, she was saying that yesterday. Now, frankly, this is not rocket science. Uh, we're going to talk with the Oregon State Representative Jeff Helfrich, which is uh, he's the uh, minority leader in the House. Now, over in Ohio, the state Senate today followed the state House in overriding Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the state SAFE Act. Now, you'll recall that's a measure that protects children from experimental drugs and surgeries that that's being pushed by transgender activists. With 23 yeas and nine days, the bill, having received the required constitutional majority, passes withstanding the objections of the governor. That was the Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman just a little while ago. We're going to get a report from the Ohio State Senate when State Senator Andy Brenner joins us. As I mentioned yesterday, there is a chasmic divide between President Biden, his party, and most Americans. In results that were almost identical to exit polling in Iowa a week ago, a Harvard-Harris poll released on Monday shows the number one issue on the minds of voters is immigration, the invasion at our southern border. Now, what is the number one word on the lips of the president and his team? Abortion. Donald Trump and Mike Republicans, including the Speaker of the House, are hell-bent on going even further. To date, MAGA Republican Congress proposed three additional national abortion bans to criminalize health care in every state. 
That was President Biden last night. And, and here's what the vice president, Kakala Harris, had to say as well. The extremists are not done. In the United States Congress, extremists are trying to pass a national abortion ban to outlaw, to outlaw abortion in every state. You know, that, that's absolutely amazing because I've not seen that bill. Now, I have seen a bill that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats actually put on the House floor and passed a bill that would put into law abortion until birth in every state, actually eliminating all of the pro-life laws that have been passed over the last four or five decades. That's what's been on the House floor, not a bill as she described. So in 2022, the Democrats ran on the abortion issue. And guess what? It worked because the Republicans were silent. Question is now, are Republicans prepared to run on protecting life in the womb and on the border and pull the political rug out from underneath Democrats? We're going to discuss that later here on Washington Watch with Georgia Congressman Rich McCormick. Our word for today comes from Job chapter 9. For he is not a man, as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. See, Job here identifies not only his need, but the need of mankind for a mediator between us and God. Someone who would speak on our behalf and intercede for us with God. Someone who can enable us to come before God without fear. What Job didn't have, we do have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is that mediator if we accept him as our Savior and Lord. He is our advocate before the Father. As Paul writes, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Let me remind you, coming up next Wednesday, the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance at the National Bible Museum. That is January the 31st, beginning at 7.30 a.m. Now, it is sold out, but you can join us online no matter where you are in the country. To register to find out more, go to PrayDC.org or text the word PRAYER to 67742. That's the word PRAYER to 67742, and I'll send you a notification. All right. As work in the Senate on the border security agreement continues, some Republican senators now believe final legislation may not be ready until next week as Democrats continue to insist on asylum protocols that do not address the ongoing crisis. And there are other issues that have emerged in the negotiations. The, this delay comes at a time as the uh, American people are speaking out pretty loudly on this. As I mentioned earlier, a Harvard-Harris poll released this week confirms that 35 percent of voters consider immigration as their top policy concern. And 77 percent of voters believe the president should negotiate with Republicans over securing the border. Joining me now to discuss this, Senator Pete Ricketts from Nebraska. He serves on three Senate committees, including the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Ricketts, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Great. Thank you very much for having me on again. So, Senator, tell us the latest you're hearing on the border security negotiations. As I understand, this has become a hot topic, not just between Republicans and Democrats, but even among Republicans. Well, certainly this is a very complicated issue, and James Langford from uh, Oklahoma is doing a fantastic job of 
representing us and trying to negotiate a deal that will help crack down on the Biden policies that are just catastrophic. I mean, President Biden has basically said that our border is open. And so we literally have, you know, since he's been president, 8.8 million people have tried to cross that border. And one of the things that people are not well aware of is just how he's abusing parole. Uh, usually, if you look at over the Obama and Trump administrations, about 5,600 people will be paroled into this country that's to be used in case of extreme humanitarian need or our national defense if there's something in the interest of our country. But Joe Biden last year paroled 1.2 million people who were trying to get into this country illegally into our country. About 85% of the people who are trying to cross this border are just being let go into our country. He's absolutely abusing this. And this is one of the things that we're trying to stop, as well as fix the broken asylum process, which people are also gaming to be able to get into this country. I've been to the border four times, and I've talked to people coming across, and they're looking for a better job. And that's not a reason for asylum. Asylum is if you cannot find a safe place within your own country. So these are things the Democrats do not want to give up on, and that's why the negotiations continue to drag out. And I just want to point out one other thing about the president. He didn't really start seriously engaging on this issue until the middle of December. So for Democrats to say they've been at it for months, Senate Democrats, yes, but the White House has not. They've hardly been engaged until almost the Christmas holidays. And that's one of the reasons why this is taking a long time. And in fact, I think it just goes to the White House really doesn't want to fix the problem at the southern border. They could if they wanted to. They really just don't. And that's why the negotiations continue to stall. Senator, you served as governor of Nebraska and the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court giving a go ahead to the federal government to to take down, cut the razor wire, the security uh, barriers that Texas has put in. Well, today, uh, Governor Abbott is not backing down. He is saying that there is an invasion. And under the under Article four, Section four of the Constitution, Article one, Section 10, Clause three gives the state the right to self-defense. This has become a a a defining issue, has it not? Well, this is why, again, this is the top issue among voters is because we have an undefended southern border and all of this is being litigated in the courts, as you indicated, uh, what uh, Governor Abbott's doing is something to protect his state. It's what any governor would try to do in such a catastrophic situation. And unfortunately, our courts take a long time to resolve this. And for example, President Biden's also being sued on his abuse of the parole process, but it'll take months and months to get this resolved. And that's why you know, we continue as Senate Republicans to push for a border solution, a package of legislation that will require the Biden administration to start taking steps to really control these abuses they've been doing at the southern border. But frankly, again, you know, the Biden administration has been absolutely lawless on this. Part of the, the questions we're all asking ourselves is how can we trust the Biden administration, even if the president signs a bill? Senator, there's some beyond the border issue. There's some actual issues with the supplemental bill for Ukraine. Uh, Israel and Taiwan. Now, part of that, um, you know, there's a lot of division over Ukraine and where that money's going. But one of the issues that has uh, raised a lot of concern among Republicans is the humanitarian uh, humanitarian spending that's associated with this bill, especially when it comes to uh, Israel and Hamas and the United Nations. Speak to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the reasons why Tim Scott and I introduced the Stop Support of Hamas Act. The Trump administration rightly recognized that the United Nations Relief and Works Agency was essentially just another arm of Hamas. They were funding schools that Hamas was hiding weapons underneath. Their textbooks preached anti-Semitism and killing Jews. Uh, you know, and of course, during this hostage crisis, one of the reports was that it was UNRWA teachers who were actually keeping some of the hostages. And the Trump administration, recognizing this, cut off our tax dollars, our U.S. tax dollars, to UNRWA. And as soon as Joe Biden got into office, he actually started giving our tax dollars back to UNRWA. In fact, $300 million last year, almost a billion dollars since he's been president. And this is an organization that is essentially funding Hamas. And that's why, as we have not received the text yet for the supplemental, so we'll have to take a look at it. But myself and other colleagues have expressed grave concern about giving the UN any money that would go to humanitarian aid that would end up supporting Hamas. That's right. It just makes it, it, sense to it, keep organization. It makes absolutely no sense. But it wouldn't be the first time we saw that coming out of Washington, D.C. Senator, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us, and uh, thank you for uh, keeping up the fight. Great. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, folks. Uh, wow. It, again, we have a petition we're going to deliver to the House leadership to encourage them to stand firm on the border when this issue does come over from the Senate. So text the word border to 67742. That's the word border to 67742. This is something that we have to fight on. All right, don't go away. We're going to talk about decriminalizing and recriminalizing drugs in Oregon next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources and action items for you. The state of Oregon's experiment in decriminalizing all drugs will likely end next month, at least in part. You know, widespread public drug use and soaring overdoses have plagued Oregon communities since Measure 110 passed by public ballot three years ago. Even the state's Democrat lawmakers are considering a rollback to the drug decriminalization under uh, Measure 110, although their proposal looks kind of like Measure 110 light. Joining me now to discuss how Measure 110 failed and what needs to happen in Oregon to address this issue is the House Minority Leader, Jeff Helfrich. He uh, represents the 52nd District of Oregon. Leader Helfrich, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, you've said Oregon is in crisis because Measure 110 has failed. Tell us how it's failed. It just takes an opportunity to walk through the streets of Portland or how we how you see what you see on the news and the media. Actually, what 110 has done, it's a failed experiment. It has come from the progressive left uh, activists in, in New York to try to have this say it's okay to do drugs and you don't have any accountability. And I was a police officer for 25 and a half years in the city of Portland and I've watched, unfortunately, the city decline in the last probably five years because of these progressive policies. Are, are you surprised that drug use soared, overdoses skyrocketed under this proposal, under this law? Not surprised. You know, I think this, this policy, one of the things I took as a police officer, never surprised, always amazed. I was amazed that the people actually voted for this, but understanding that the ballot title talked about directing resources for recovery, or people to get recovery, but what they didn't see at the bottom of the, the last line was reclassifying certain possession of drugs. And that is what has ruined our society, and it's this experiment that has just, again, failed. We as Republicans have offered uh, solutions to this, and our solutions aren't partisan. Our solutions are bipartisan but there are solutions that Oregonians want. It's interesting that under the proposed recriminalization to a degree is that um, it's going to clamp down on the, the selling of drugs, but the, the use of drugs, you know, it's still going to be pretty lenient. So I just I have a hard time figuring out why is it okay to, to, to buy drugs but not sell it? 
So are you looking at our proposal or the Democrats? No, no, proposal? the Democrats' proposal, not yours, but the Democrats' proposal. Oh, for- oh. Yeah, they they don't want to have any, but they don't want any accountability. They there's this is how crazy this is. Is where that proposal shows that they want to have people that are addicts be uh, supporters of other addicts to make sure that they're okay using drugs. And there's no accountability, and it's unfortunate because the people want the accountability. And our proposal. They say want to make it a class C misdemeanor and that class C misdemeanor doesn't do anything. It's just a step above a violation. And unfortunately, our officers aren't going to want to put governmental. What's the governmental uh, cause to intersect in this person's life when it's a class C misdemeanor? And there's a lot of bad things that can happen. And they just don't want anybody to have accountability, unfortunately. What I saw as as, as kind of leading to the passage of this is they said, well, this is going to address drug addiction because the funds that we raise from this, from legalizing drugs, is going to go to drug treatment. And just reading the statistics, only 1% of people who received citations for possession of drugs, using them illegally, sought help through the hotlines. I mean, this thing, it, it didn't work as proposed. It, it is unfortunate that they have done that and it's i think it was pixie dust and fairy tales that thinking people are going to get that help it's unfortunate it didn't happen so to talk about the the way forward that the republicans are proposing there in oregon i'm sorry our our internet connections is uh yeah very good right now give me do you repeat the question yeah, let me restate that. So, so what are the Republicans there proposing as the way forward to fix this? Our proposal is very simple. It's what the Oregonians want. We want to have accountability. And the easiest way to explain this, we have a system in place that comes when you get arrested for a DUI charge, driving under the influence, you go into diversion. We offer solutions. We don't want to put people in prison or jails. We want right. to get people the treatment they need. You will get arrested, booked into, get booked in through a mug and print, then get diverted into treatment. If you don't complete that treatment, then there's going to be other accountability measures in the criminal justice system to get you treatment and force that there. We've created an environment. We have to help people, but this is the way we can dig ourselves out, and we don't have to recreate a bunch of new systems. And you already have Right. I, I think... A good proposal. The uh, back, DUI diversion program, we just had, uh, have drug accountability with it. We, we did, when I was in the legislature in my home state of Louisiana, former police officer myself, and that's what we did. We, we actually created drug courts where we diverted people into those drug courts. Nonviolent offenders gave them the opportunity to, to seek help versus, you know, going into prison and becoming hardened criminals. So, I mean, this this actually makes good sense because it does get people help, but you, they've got to know that this behavior, this antisocial behavior is not going to work long term. You're, you're absolutely correct. We do have drug courts. Unfortunately, past legislatures haven't funded those currently, and it's, it's just a shame that that didn't happen because those things work. Multnomah County, all right, I think we're, we're having some trouble there with our connection. But uh, later, if you can hear me, thanks so much for well. Leader Helford, thank you for joining us, and we're going to be tracking this very, very closely uh, to, to to see this because we're actually seeing this in in other states, folks that legalize marijuana, that are realizing now that this was the wrong path. Now, it it, it it's frankly. 
This is, as I said earlier, it's not rocket science. This is pretty straightforward. And so I think your dates that uh, went down this path uh, are going to kind of backtrack, hopefully. And But it takes people like, like Jeff to get in office who have a little bit of common sense and experience and, and are working to, to pass laws that make sense. All right. Uh, guess what happened in Ohio this afternoon? All right, some good news coming out of the state of Ohio. The state Senate there overrode the governor's veto of a bill that protects children from experimental surgeries and drugs. We're going to be joined by a state senator from the state Senate there in Ohio when we come back. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, I want to remind you, next Wednesday, January the 31st, is our National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. It'll be at the Bible Museum beginning at 7.30 Eastern Time. Now, it is uh, sold out. However, however, it will be streamed. So if you'd like to find out more Text the word PRAYER to 67742. That's the word PRAYER to 67742 or org. The Ohio Senate voted uh, earlier this afternoon to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of House Bill 68. And we've talked a lot about that. this bill. This is a bill that uh, now will soon be law 
uh, as it's now overridden the governor's veto in both chambers. It protects children from experimental gender procedures that are being pushed by the transgender activist. And this also, this measure also prohibits boys and men from occupying and spaces, locker rooms that uh, are designated for females and from competing in female sports. Now, the Senate needed three-fifths of the chamber to override the governor's veto and easily achieve that by a vote, I believe, of 24 to 8. Joining me now to discuss this is Ohio State Senator Andy Brenner. He represents Ohio's 19th Senate district. He also chairs the Ohio Senate Education Committee. Senator Brenner, uh, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Tony. I very much appreciate being on. So uh, pretty good news. Uh, Ohio now comes, I think it's the 23rd state to pass a SAFE Act type legislation to protect children. In your opinion, why is this legislation uh, so important for protecting children in Ohio? Simply put, the scientific evidence is not there. Um, I gave a floor speech about a month ago in the Senate when we passed it uh, to point out the fact that Sweden, the country of Sweden, uh, which started uh, and legalized transgender surgeries uh, back in 1972, uh, pulled out of uh, doing any kind of hormone therapy or anything uh, two years ago. And this is a liberal country of Sweden doing this. Um, I asked the uh, doctors who testified. I actually sat in on the uh, committee that heard the bill. I was a fill-in for a couple of the members who weren't able to make it. Um, So I sat through eight hours of opponent testimony. So I asked the doctors, please show me the scientific research that backs up the utilization of of hormone treatment and all this uh, in transgender surgery. They couldn't defend the transgender surgery for minors, but they... um, They said that they would supply me scientifically based research that backed up what they were doing. I never got it. And I spoke on the Senate floor today and mentioned the fact that, you know, there are studies out there that say that there isn't enough scientific evidence to prove that this helps uh, reduce suicides or depression. Um, And in fact, it's very anecdotal at best. So, you know, this it's important for that. It's obviously important for Save Women's Sports. I, I think even Governor DeWine uh, was probably in favor of that part of the bill. Uh, you know, we should not be having, you know, transgender boys competing in girls' sports. It's just not, it's not appropriate. And uh, it gives them a competitive advantage. It's very obvious, uh, what, what should be very obvious. But we did have a lot of uh, the Democrats on the floor today uh, basically spoke out in strong opposition uh, to the veto override. I think that's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, they say they're the party of science. But when it comes to science, to things like abortion and, you know, conception, um, they don't look at the science then at that point. And then the same thing with, you know, transgender uh, stuff for, for, you know, kids. I mean, it's just it, it's surprising to me that, um, you know, we get that kind of backlash. We did have protesters uh, outside uh, the state house uh, yelling and screaming and chanting against it. And we had a few people disrupt the uh, the Senate session this afternoon, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. The, the vote pretty overwhelming. Um, what were you hearing? Were senators hearing from voters in the state encouraging them to take this step? Absolutely. In fact, I had my staff uh, tally up all the people who wanted me to override the governor. 
versus those who did not want me to override the governor. And uh, we had several hundred uh, people reach out to our office, individuals who wanted us to override the governor. And probably about 10% of that were to do the opposite, which was to agree with the governor. So uh, within my district, it was overwhelming support uh, to override the governor. You know, I, I've known the governor for years. Uh, in fact, I actually campaigned with him uh, a number of years ago when he first ran for governor. Uh, surprised uh, that he took this position in vetoing this common sense legislation. W- were you surprised by the veto? To some degree, no, because the the, the community, the transgender community, the families uh, went in. I mean, they testified and it was very emotional. And I know he met with many of them. And they were pleading with him saying, oh, the science is there. We're, you know, this is helping us. It's helping save lives. And the governor before, like when we came to masking and and the lockdowns a few years ago, he listened to the scientific community, or at least what he thought was the science and the experts, and he followed their advice. And I think that's what he did here. Uh, He he was wrong on it. uh, And they don't really have the data to back up what they're doing. You're, you're absolutely right, because we've done a lot of research. In fact, we put together the first SAFE Act in Arkansas a number of years ago, and, and you're right, the science is not there. The science is on the side of the fact that boys are created boys and girls are created girls, and we need to support that. Senator, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, thank you for being a part of creating some good news out of the Buckeye State. Thank you very much. All right, uh, Senator Brennan from Ohio. All right, coming up next, President Biden hit the campaign trail this week, and he was uh, in full swing last night. What was he rallying about? Abortion. We're going to talk more about what's ahead in 2024 after the break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back. All right, um, mark this down. Next Wednesday, January the 31st, the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance at the Bible Museum. Now, it is sold out. However, you can be a part of it. And we're going to have the House Speaker there. We're going to have a number of members of Congress that are going to be there, along with uh, actually a lot of international leaders praying and repenting. That's, that's what it is. It's, uh, that's what it's all about. And you can join us. You can be a part of it. Uh, go to uh, PrayDC.org or text the word prayer to 67742, and I'll send you a link with the information. Uh, and also, let me just mention one more time, border. If you want to weigh in on the border issue, text the word border to 67742. All right. In what appears to be an effort to distract attention from the New Hampshire primary results last night, President Biden and Vice President Harris actually held a pro-abortion rally in Virginia last night together. This is their first joint campaign appearance in 2024, and it was all about abortion. Although the president did say something I, I, I want to point out, because uh, the former governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, was there. So uh, play clip number eight. Hello, Virginia. And the real governor, Terry McAuliffe. Uh, was that a statement by an election denier? The the real governor, Terry McAuliffe, who, who was actually defeated? Is that, hmm, interesting. But their focus, uh, even though the, his speech was often interrupted by pro-Hamas hecklers, the president made clear that Democrats' devotion, their devotion to abortion will be the central theme of his 2024 campaign. Now, I discussed earlier in the program that voters are actually focused on immigration and inflation. Yet President Biden and Democrats want to campaign on their commitment to killing babies in the womb. I mean, here's the deal. It doesn't matter what the question is. The president's answer is abortion. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't matter. Mr. President, how are you going to deal with the border crisis? Codify Roe v. Wade. M- Mr. President, how are you going to address, address inflation impacting America's working families? Reproductive freedom. I mean, it's like one of those dolls where you pull the string and it's, it's all that comes out. 
Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Rich McCormick. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Armed Services Committee. He's also a medical doctor, and he is on the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Georgia, and he is also a, de- a decorated Marine helicopter pilot. Uh, and as I said, he's a doctor in the ER room. Dr. McCormick, Semper Fi, and welcome back to Washington Watch. Semper Fi, good to be with you today. So, um, the president, it, it, first campaign stop with the vice president, and it's all about abortion. Do they think they're going to get a repeat of 2022 and Republicans are just going to allow the Democrats to define this debate? Well, they're trying to find something that the populist movement works with. I think it's ultimately hypocritical that everybody who's talking about the pro-choice has been given the choice of life that they, they're all living. Uh, ultimate hypocrisy that they talk about uh, the rights of minorities where uh, a vast preponderance of the abortions by percentage are done amongst minorities. Uh, the fact is, if you want to talk about a populist movement, they're on the losing side of the budget uh, with the debt. Uh, with crime, with the border, with energy, with education, uh, with smaller government. They needed something to find a popular movement. But quite frankly, most of America does not want to see late-term abortions anyway. So they're on the wrong side of history in that, too. So, so is, that, is that what this is about? It's about distracting. Don't look what we've not been able to do or the mess that we've created. We want to talk about abortion. And they're just trying to grab the straws now. What can we find that the vast proponents or, or at least a majority of Americans agree with? Now, there may be the majority of, uh, uh, of America wants some sort of choice, uh, but that's not going to win an election by itself. And, and certainly, like you said, I think over time, most developed when we find our morality and when we find right, what's good for human dignity, for the rights of women who are unborn as well as born. I, I right. think we'll be on the right side of history on this. I, I think you're absolutely right. We're, 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 we're getting, we have a bad connection. We're going we're gonna to reconnect with you and so because I want to make sure that our, our listeners have the benefit of uh, hearing everything that you, you say. I, I think he is, uh, he's right, and, and here's what I'm encouraged about, because in, in 2022, um, post-Roe, no one was really prepared to, to address. I mean, some of us were, but most in the, in the pro-life um, pro-life members of Congress, political leaders, campaign strategists were, were unprepared to deal with this issue. So the, the Democrats, they just they were the ones talking about it, and they were defining the position of Republicans. And the Republicans, were, for the most part, were silent. And, and so it was, it was, you know, pretty easy for them to scare the American public with their deceptive statements on that. But that's not going to be the case this time. I think you're going to see Republicans are going to challenge them. And they're not going to get away with that. Just like some of these statements that were made last night uh, at this uh, pro, I mean, can you imagine? First, think think about this. Think about this for a moment from a, uh, I mean, think about it politically, but I'm going to think about it from a spiritual standpoint. So you, you are running for president of the United States, and your first really campaign kickoff is going to be an abortion rally. And what does that say? And that says, man, we, uh, we as a nation are in deep trouble. And, and these two competing worldviews are really what's on the ballot. 
Now, I want to play a clip. I think we've got, uh, we've got uh, Dr. McCormick back on. Uh, Dr. McCormick, I want to play a clip from Nancy Pelosi. She was, uh, her voice was also in on this uh, yesterday. Uh, clip number 14. There will a national ban on access to an abortion. So the election's about freedom, democracy, yes, writ large, but it's also about your personal freedom in your lives. Okay, uh, so a lot of problems with that statement. But first, this talk about a national ban on abortion. This is the Democrats projecting because the only bill that's been on the House floor was Nancy Pelosi's bill, the, the Women's Health Protection Act, which codified Roe v. Wade, abortion until birth, in federal statute and eliminated almost every pro-life law across the nation. I mean, they're, they're trying to scare the public when they're the ones that are actually trying to impose their view on Americans. Absolutely. And you're talking about the most extreme views that are not supported by the majority of Americans, where you could literally take a baby that's minutes, maybe seconds away from taking its first breath and eliminate that life as if that was OK, as if that was moral, as if the people support that. Uh, that's how extreme they are. And then they call us the extremists. Um, the people have spoken. Uh, we've been fighting for these rights for uh, the unborn children for a long time. Uh, I, I think those people who want to deny what the Bible says, what, what, what morality uh, has indicated, uh, what, what so many other, well, everybody alive has been given that opportunity to live and make their choices and to succeed and fail as Americans. Uh, that's being taken away from both men and women who are unborn. And uh, I, I think, like I said, it's the ultimate hypocrisy when you talk about these people who have been given the choice to live, um, uh, taking it away from somebody else to have that chance to succeed and, and to be uh, blessed by God in the ways that they've been set aside as unique individuals created in God's womb, known from the time that they're created in God's womb, according to the Word. And uh, and there's so many people who say that they believe in the Bible who like to deny that part of the Bible. Right. What encourages me, uh, let me just say this, one, you, you are one of the reasons I'm encouraged, Dr. McCormick, because you're openly talking about this issue. In 2022, in the midterm elections, so many Republicans you know, they, they didn't talk about it. They didn't know really what to say. But it, it's not really, as you said, it's not difficult. We just go back to what we've been saying for, for nearly 50 years. We need to protect unborn children. Let them talk about abortion. We're going to talk about unborn children and their mothers and making sure they're not scarred for life because we, we don't want them to be deceived and led down a deceptive path at a time of crisis. That's right. And that's why we need to make it uh, very easy for them to give them up for adoption like there's a long list of people uh, waiting to give these children a really good home, a really good chance of not just surviving, but thriving, being the, the most productive people in society. Two of my best friends, one of them, the Marines, uh, I can't imagine this world without them. I mean, they're some of the most highly productive, best friends, most moral, most uh, beneficial to society kind of people that you'd ever meet in your life. And uh, had they been not given that chance, uh, we wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have a best friend. I wouldn't have people who would literally take a bullet for me, who uh, who take in the controls when, when something going wrong in the, in the aircraft uh, when I was a Marine Corps pilot. pilot. Uh, somebody who would watch after you if you're jumping out of an aircraft or, or somebody who'd give you a dollar, when their last dollar when you're in need. I mean, these are the kind of people that are not going to be here for us. You're talking about some of your, your children's best friends. Right. Uh, you're talking about leaders in the church, leaders in society, leaders in politics, scientists, uh, doctors. Uh, ministers, you name it, 
You know, that, that's such a good point, Congressman McCormick, because that is what the Biden administration and the left ha- has signaled they're going to do in the 2024 election. They want to tell stories of how women have been impacted since the court overturned Roe v. Wade. Well, you know, that's that's what they do. They, they want to tell these stories and, 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 and some of them true. Some of them I don't think are so true. But that's what we need to do. We need to talk about the, the person sitting next to you that wouldn't be here if someone had not chosen life for them or given them up for adoption when they were faced with a crisis pregnancy. That's right. And, and every time I'm asked, you know, I'm, I'm an ER doc, and they ask me, well, what about the, the, the idea where, where the, the woman would be harmed or, or killed if, the, if, the, if they don't terminate the pregnancy? Well, well first of all, the woman's going to die. The, the baby's going to die, too. So let's not be absurd. Right. There's never a case where I can draw up where you can keep the baby alive uh, right. in order to kill the mom. I mean, it, it, let, it let, me, no let, me, let me just stop you right there, because that is an extremely important point, because the mother is the first patient. And the mother is always to be attended to first, because you're not going to save the baby and let the mother die. That's just not going to happen. That is a red herring. It's a false argument that they're putting forth. And every time I'm asked by media to, about that, I say, well, give me a scenario. And they can't. And what's funny, I can give you two scenarios that they, they would love to try to. One is, it, let's say there's a woman who was in a car crash, and you're going to deliver the baby, and the woman's dying anyways. Uh, you know, if you deliver the baby, you actually give your mother a better chance of survival. Not by aborting the baby, but by actually delivering the baby. You know, if the, the baby's premature, then there's nothing I can do about it anyways. Uh, if, the, if the mother does, like I said, the baby will die. But there was one instance. And my, my wife is an oncologist, and she had a patient. And I'll tell you one instance where you could maybe make a case. Let me tell you what happened with that case. You had a woman with metastatic cancer, hundreds of tumors all over her body, including her brain and her liver, metastatic. She was early in her pregnancy, and she's told, if you get an abortion, we could try to give you chemo now, try to get you uh, radiated now, and uh, we'll extend your life. Otherwise, you're probably going to die a lot faster by proceeding with this pregnancy and, not, and, and delaying your pr- treatment. Well, she made a choice. She made a choice to keep the baby uh, at the at her own peril uh, that she would progress more rapidly without the, the treatment. She delivered the baby. They started aggressive chemotherapy, aggressive radiation. And let me let me tell you the synopsis of this. It's the one scenario I thought, well, okay, you can make a case here. Well, ironically, she made the choice for the life of her child. She is now a miracle. She is cancer-free. Almost a decade out, she's had two more children, which is all impossible because she made the right choice. And, and that's the only case I can ever come up with. And so there you have it. Uh, just another uh, story created by God to show why life is important and why he is in control. Wow. A, uh, a powerful story. And, and again, that's what I think needs to be highlighted in this discussion. I do not think Republicans need to back up at all and apologize for wanting to protect the unborn and their mothers from the horrors of abortion. Indeed, we would be bad people if we believe that that's life, if we believe that God has known that life since the, the creation, the, the knitting together in the mother's womb. Wouldn't we be kind of bad people for not standing up for that life? I'm not trying to vilify anybody. I'm just literally standing up for what I believe but is God created by I, I, I agree. But what does this tell us as a, as a nation if we just step back dispassionately, if we can, and I, I, honestly, I don't think we can, but, and we probably shouldn't even try to be dispassionate about this. But when you have one party that this is at the heart of their campaign to get 
control and to lead this nation is on abortion. That's what they're leading with. That's their priority. What does that tell you? It tells me they will they will do anything, anything to be elected, uh, anything that's bad for the nation, bad for morality. Uh, all they care about is power. They'll, they'll open the southern border. They'll, they'll transform the United States uh, with, with people who are not allowed to work, who are totally dependent on the government, uh, knowing it's not good for the United States, but knowing it will keep them in power if they're able to do it. Uh, they will stop at nothing to stay in power. And this is just another example of how morality doesn't matter. Yeah. The future of this nation doesn't matter. All that matters is their power. They want the government to be God. They want government to determine morality. They want the government to determine business. They want the government to determine medicine. They want government to be the ultimate deciding factor in your life. They do not believe in the freedom of individuals or in the sovereignty of God. And if you will not protect the most innocent and vulnerable in our society, who will you protect? Dr. McCormick, thank you so much for joining us today. Always great to uh, to talk with you. Thanks so much. God bless you. Congressman Rich McCormick from Georgia, 6th Congressional District. Folks, this is uh, once again a reminder of the, the choices that we have and the consequences of elections. And, and this is a, this is, yes, it's a political issue, but it's a spiritual issue. And we need to line up on the right side of this issue. Well, we're out of time for today, but Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow, and I hope you will as well. But until then, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.